so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Amen. He deserves the glory. He deserves the glory. So I want to encourage you now just to put the name of Jesus on your lips. Uh, if you're here in the building, it might have to be just a whisper or even inaudible. If you're at home and you're on your own, maybe you can shout it out, scream it out. I just want to encourage you, put the name of Jesus on your lips. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just say his name. There's power in his name. There's healing in his name. There's freedom in his name. Jesus, Jesus, we worship you this morning. You deserve the glory. From you and for you and unto you and through you are all things. Amen. Amen. And amen. Mm, thank you so much, worship team. Our worship teams are doing such an amazing job of leading us in worship in this season. It's, um, it's difficult for us, in a sense, to, to not be able to sing, but it's also a challenge for them to uh, be flying solo and, and, and that. So we really appreciate our worship teams uh, and, and their leadership in worship. Uh, in terms of giving God all the glory, I've just got a few testimonies to share this morning. Thanks for those who texted through or shared a testimony. Uh, so we've been praying about Scripture in schools because obviously that was something that was restricted uh, thanks to coronavirus, but SRE is back in the high school, so Jessica is back there. She's taught year eight uh, last Monday, uh, the Monday just gone, sorry, and yeah, she said they were quite responsive to that. Um, and so keep praying for that. And year seven's coming up tomorrow. So really be in prayer for scripture for year seven for the group that are there. We want to keep praying for that, that the, uh, the opt-in cohort increases. Uh, for scripture. So thanks for sharing that, Jess. Helena shared a testimony with me. She, she, she just wants to praise God and give him glory for an extremely wonderful day with her family yesterday. Uh, and she's just included uh, this word of praise uh, that some of us might know. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, so hopefully you weren't anticipating me singing that uh, this morning because we're only allowed one singer in the room, unfortunately, uh, and Ali's taken that role. Uh, and uh, Jill shared with me this morning a, a great testimony. She said that on their way out to the highway, uh, Jill and Jacob were in their car. Uh, they were just about to hit the highway and clunk, bang, uh, their car made noises you don't want them to make. Uh, and apparently the front diff, uh, it was a four-wheel drive, the front diff uh, had blown up and so they had to be towed back uh, to town. And uh, so Jill went down to uh, Food Bank, uh, the Vine Food Care, sorry, uh, yesterday morning to, to, to pick up some groceries and asked someone for a lift home. 
who happened to be their neighbour, uh, without even asking, uh, the, the neighbour came over afterwards and said, here's the keys for a car that you can use. And so Jill's just thrilled that, that God, without even asking God, without even asking anybody, uh, God's just provided for their needs so that they um, have a vehicle to, to be able to transport. And, you know, uh, Jacob's recovered amazingly uh, and doing great, but still cares needed. So they very much need a vehicle. Um, so praise God for that. Uh, I've got one more testimony and, and just more a testimony about the importance of testimonies. Uh, and so I've been, the last week I just felt, I, I actually shared with a couple of people, I feel like I need to learn how to pray again. It's not that I've forgot the theology around prayer, far be that from me to forget that. Um, but uh, <laughs> But it's just like, oh, my prayers weren't flowing. And usually when my prayers aren't flowing, I'll pray in tongues and, and that. But it's just like, oh, it's just not happening. And so I thought I'll just go for a drive around town after dropping the kids off one morning and pray a bit. Uh, and I felt like God led me up to a spot on the opposite side of the gorge to where we live now. Um, and I just parked my car there. When I share it like this, it sounds like this deep, profound spiritual moment. But it was just a prompting to go out there and, and look across at our house. And, and God reminded me how often I'd parked my car there and prayed for that house, uh, I believe, with his leading. And, and it's just reminded me, remember this? Uh, your frustrations in this season, uh, were they any different to the frustrations in that season? And I blessed you. Um, and so it's not like every prayer will be answered, of course, but, but I really believe in this troubling season, in this difficult season, whether it's frustrations uh, particularly around church gathering and stuff like that, it's really important for us to remember testimony. And so if you don't have a testimony of what God's done in your life this week or last week or you can't think of one recently, I just encourage you to, to go back to the last one. Go back to the last thing you remember God bringing breakthrough into your life and just dwell on that. Just remind yourself that God is faithful. The same God that did that is faithful today. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, jump into the scriptures now. Dan's going to come and read for us. So I encourage you to open up to John chapter 2. All right. So, yes, reading from John chapter 2, starting at uh, verse 1. And while you find that in your Bibles, I've got the mic, so I also just have a quick testimony to share. Um, uh, Mentoring has started back. uh, Kids Hope Mentoring has started back at... uh, Yes, public this or this term, um, and so last week, or yeah, whatever, a week ago was um, uh, the first week back mentoring, and I, I went to school and, and went to to my my child's classroom, not my own children, but the child I mentor, uh, and um, and and when he when he saw me, he had this big smile on his face, and his teacher said, "Daniel, that's the that's the um you know the first time I've seen smile in in like you know." At least it was at least that day, or something like that. Anyway, it was just like a, I guess an affirmation of, um, uh, yeah, I guess not necessarily about me, but just sort of what that that mentoring program really means. So that was, um, yeah, it was good. And yeah, testimony, praise God that the mentoring is back. All right. So uh, uh, the the title of this uh, this passage is Jesus changes water into wine. What an amazing miracle! On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called to the bride, called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Well, good morning once more. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with uh, you this morning. It's a pleasure to see some faces in the room uh, that I haven't seen for some time, so good I'll just dwell on that for a moment and do encourage you that the little catchphrase that I've had in my mind for this season uh, in the last few weeks is don't church alone Uh, well I don't want to make you feel guilty if you're at home and uh, participating in church this morning uh, viewing the live stream or even if you're uh, participating through watching this later on um, I don't want I want you to know that you're not alone if you're doing that but I do want to encourage you uh, if you can get together with others through the live stream or if you can get into the building uh, just at least a, a occasionally sometimes during this season um, it's a real encouragement for your faith it's a real encouragement for those leading as well here if there's some people here uh, and, and, and I especially encourage that because uh, it seems that this is not going to be a brief season uh, that we are going to be here for some time in this fashion and so uh, let's not give up the habit of meeting together uh, online or in the building or or however we're doing let's let's not let church because of this online thing which is a great gift that we have to stay connected but let's not let church become a solo thing uh, in this season I believe God's got a, a great word for us today, and by that I don't mean I think I've got a really great sermon. Uh, I think God's got a great word for us. And so I'm going to pray once more, and I'm going to encourage us to uh, have a great sense of expectation, not for how good the sermon's going to be, but for what God might want to say to you this morning through his word. Uh, I want you to be excited for what God has to say to you this morning. And so, Heavenly Father, I am excited. And I always have this sense, Lord, but perhaps this morning more so than ever, I have a sense where I'm nervous that I'm not going to have words good enough to convey what you've placed on my heart, Lord. And I know that's always true. My words simply will never be good enough to convey the truth of your word. And so I pray this morning that in this time your Holy Spirit speaks, that your Holy Spirit communicates directly to our hearts as we unpack Uh, the word that he inspired this morning about the living word, Jesus Christ. And so come and have your way in us, build expectation, build attention in our hearts. Let our hearts be attentive to you as we engage, as we dive into your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Uh, And so last week we began a series that we're calling The Good News of Jesus According to 
to John. And so this is just a series going through John's gospel. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus in the midst of uncertainty in this season. Uh, we're, we're seeking to abide in him and, and, and the gospel about him. And so there's no better place, I believe, than John's gospel to go. And so last week we began this series and we looked at what's often called the prologue to John. It's the introduction to who Jesus is. And so this week we jump into John chapter 2. We, we find Jesus and his mother and his disciples at a wedding. I, I encouraged everyone last week to, to read the book, not to rely on, on the sermon series uh, alone because we're not going to be able to touch on every verse in John but to fill the gaps briefly uh, after the prologue after that introduction to Jesus we've had the testimony of John the Baptist essentially saying that man Jesus is the Messiah sent from God uh, we've had Jesus uh, call his disciples to follow him some of them were John the Baptist disciples that that heard John say he's the one and so they left John the Baptist and followed him and followed Jesus some of them were, were friends and relatives of those disciples. And so at the end of chapter 1, we get this story about a man named Nathaniel being invited to follow Jesus. He hears that he's from Nazareth and he thinks, get out of town. Nothing from that town is worth following. But he's invited to come and see. We, we spoke about this story at Easter. And, and, and so Nathaniel comes to see and he meets Jesus and Jesus says to him, I saw you under the tree. He said, I, I saw you while you were still under the tree, fig tree, before Philip, that's the one who called him to come and see Jesus, came to you. And, and so Nathaniel in this moment says, says rabbi that means teacher you are the son of god you are the king of israel just with that moment of divine knowledge nathaniel's preconceived ideas about jesus of nazareth were broken off and he and he believes and so where i want to launch from this morning though is is john chapter 1 verse 50 jesus responds to nathaniel's sudden belief with these words he says you believe because i told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And so this story of Jesus turning water into wine is the first answer to that promise from Jesus. You will see greater things than that. And so this is perhaps one of Jesus' most famous miracles, uh, perhaps because... A lot of people love wine, I don't know, but, but this water to wine is one of Jesus' most uh, famous miracles, even for those that don't know much about Jesus. And so I want to say this morning that this was a real miracle. John is giving us a historical account of Jesus' first public miracle. He solved a very real problem for very real world people who were in a very real place of need. This is a real world miracle. But I want to jump to the end of uh, our reading this morning, to John chapter 2, verse 11, uh, because John says there's something more to it than just this real world miracle. He says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee at this wedding was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so John says to us, this is more than a miracle. It's a very real world historical miracle. 
But it's more than a miracle, it's a sign. And what do signs do? They point us towards something. And so this passage is filled with, with signs and images that are meant to make our ears prick up, our hearts become alert that there's something more to this story than just a magic trick or a party trick. Just the very setting of a wedding banquet reminds us of, of the rich prophetic expectation of the wedding banquet of the Messiah. And so when Israel imagined the Messiah coming, they imagined something like a wedding banquet. That was kind of the biggest possible party you could have in their day. And, and so they pictured it as, as been like a wedding banquet. John refers to these stone jars used for ceremonial washing in the story and, and we're meant to become alert to what they mean, what they represent in the story. There's something deeper going on here than just a party trick. Jesus makes new wine. In Hosea and Amos and elsewhere in the, in the Old Testament prophecies, the day of the Messiah coming was foretold of a day of new wine. Yes, this is a very real-world miracle, but this morning I want us to see that it's a sign. John says that Jesus revealed his glory, revealed the glory of the Messiah, revealed the glory of the manifest Son of God here on earth. When I was reading uh, some commentaries on this, studying the passage in preparation, uh, one of the, the commenters said this, and I just think it's a great line that captures the heart of this passage. It says, The act of power is less important to John than what the act says about Jesus. The act of power, the turning water to wine, is less important to John than what that act says about Jesus. And so this morning I want us to ask, what does this story tell us about Jesus? To not stop at the surface level and go, that's cool, I could use that miracle at my house on a Friday afternoon sometimes. <laughs> but to go deeper and ask, what does this tell us about who Jesus is? And so in verses 3 and 5, we're told that Jesus isn't just at a wedding, that there's a crisis at the wedding. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so this was a crisis because weddings are important events in first century Palestine. Uh, when people got betrothed, which is a, a, a legal commitment far beyond our modern day engagement, when people got betrothed, the wedding date would be announced and it was usually a long way off in advance so that elaborate pre preparations for the wedding could take place. The wedding itself, the celebrations could last up to a week and they involved the whole village. This town of Cana is a, is a small village north, not far north of Nazareth, about 6Ks maybe, um, a day's walk, less than a day's walk, sorry. And so it, it seems that Jesus is there with his mother and his disciples and so it's drawn people not just from that village but from the villages around to this wedding, this celebration. And then this crisis happens. They have no more wine. Running out of wine at a wedding would have been an embarrassment and a, and a shame for the family far beyond what we could probably comprehend because we live in such a different culture this would have been something that marked this family 
as shameful, as dishonourable, as, as ones who hadn't prepared sufficiently, uh, 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 would have blemished the entire marriage. It would have been remembered by how they didn't have enough wine at the wedding. We, we can't grasp in our modern day and age with BWS just down the street how, how deep a shame this would be. And so we don't know Mary's relationship to the family. Maybe she's just an empathic person, but, but she brings the issue to Jesus. And so I've got to ask myself, what has Mary seen Jesus do in private? John says this is his first public sign, but, but what has Mary already seen Jesus do? It would be just speculation. We don't know. But I like to think that perhaps Mary has seen Jesus deal with issues of scarcity once or twice before this point in their family life. But even if not, uh, we're told explicitly in the Gospels, in the other Gospels, that Jesus stored up in her heart the words of angels, of prophets, of wise men from far away, their words of what they said about who this son of hers was. And so even if she's seen nothing before this point, she's a believer in who Jesus is already. In English, Jesus' response seems a bit harsh. Woman! We don't tend to say that overly affectionately. I think if I was to use that phrase this afternoon to refer to any female in my life, it would not go well with me. And so it's not really a term of affection, but it isn't a term of kind of conscious, condescending uh, as it seems in English, and so Jesus is just using formal language and he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And so in John's gospel, a reference to the hour is that, that peak glorification moment where he's crucified for the sins of the world. But, but whatever we read into that response, Mary doesn't read into it, he's not going to do anything about it. Whatever we might understand in the relationship between mother and son, it's not understood as... He's refusing to act because she tells the servants, do whatever he says. Mary believed that Jesus was the answer to issues of lack and scarcity. And so what I want to grasp for us this morning is that this is about more than wine at a wedding. This issue of lack and scarcity is about more than wine at one wedding or every wedding. It's about all of us because we are all out of wine. We all come up empty. We, we've all been there. Jesus used stone jars to create this new wine in. And so this is a reference in a sense to the powerlessness of religious systems to fill us and make us uh, right before God. It's this empty legalistic piety just isn't enough. But it's not just the, the old legal system, the old Jewish law that, that is out of wine. It is, it is we as humanity that have no more wine. It's we as humanity that have ran out, fallen short. Apparently, at least 70% of people suffer from what's called imposter syndrome. And, and you may experience this yourself. I know I have. It's, it's the fear of being exposed as a fraud. And see, so the thing is, it doesn't matter how good you are at the thing that you do. You could be the world's best, whatever it is. 
and still suffer from this fear, this shame that the wine casks are actually empty. If anyone actually sees who I really am, they'll realize that I'm out of wine, that I'm a fraud, that I'm a failure, that I'm not good enough. We all live with, at times, guilt and shame and fear. We all get tired. We all have financial stress at times, well, many of us do. We get lonely, we feel empty, and, and there's, there's this sense as, of a, as humanity that we're never quite enough when we're trying to be enough. And it's the more you try to be enough, you realize that you're never going to be enough. The more wine barrels you try and set aside and prepare for the wedding because you know it's coming, you still get to this moment where you're mid-wedding and you've run out. This isn't just about one wedding. It's about the human condition. We're all out of wine. People may point that out to you at times. But the reality is, We know our own inadequacies. We know how much is in the barrel. We're all out of wine. But Mary believes that Jesus is the answer. And so she goes to her son and says, they are out of wine. And she says to the servants, do whatever he says. And so what is Jesus' answer, not just to the lack of wine at the wedding? What's his answer to our lack? What's his answer to our scarcity? What's his answer to the reality that as a, as a species we fall short? Well, in verse 6, we're told that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And so there's these jars at the wedding and we're told that they were used for ceremonial washing and and so uh, the Jewish people to to, uh, maintain their ritual cleanliness had to wash their hands frequently and and so a lot of water was involved. A good hygiene practice uh, perhaps to, to think about today but uh, not good enough to make yourself right before God. But I want you to hold that thought about their intended use. We'll get to that in a moment. Because what John is, I guess, equally concerned about with their intended use is how big they are and how many of them are and how full, how full they were filled. The volume here is important for John. He says there were six stone jars. He says there were 75 to 115 litres each. That's the, I've done the conversion from gallons to litres uh, for you, depending on where your Bible was printed. Uh, it will tell you gallons or litres. There were six stone jars, 75 to 115 litres each, and we're told they were filled to the brim. Uh, the, the Greek word almost means overfilled, up above, over. And so the volume is important to John because Jesus did not just produce an extra couple bottles of wine. Mary came to him and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus didn't just go, well, I do have these two bottles set aside 
for later, but I'm willing to offer them to you now. Maybe that will help. Jesus produced, Jesus turned 500 to 700 litres of water into wine. In modern terms, if we think about wine bottles, that's around about 900 bottles of wine. That is way more wine than they could have possibly ever needed. This is the point where they've already drank their fill, so to speak. This is at the point in the wedding where the master of ceremonies is expecting them to bring out the cheap stuff, just the the last bit that they've got left. And Jesus produces miraculously 900 or so bottles of wine. Why is this volume so important for John? He wants us to understand something very important about who Jesus is. He wants us to understand how Jesus responds to lack and scarcity, how Jesus responds when we feel and know that we are not enough. Jesus' response is abundance. Jesus not just meets their need. He, in fact, doesn't even ask how much they need. Jesus' response is a ridiculous quantity of wine. In John 10.10, Jesus said of himself, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, or we could translate that abundantly, overflowing to the maximum. He came not just that our life would be a life of scarcity and lack and never feeling like we're enough. He said, I came that you would have life and have it to the full. This is not just the only story that tells us that Jesus responds to lack with abundance. In a few chapters' time, we're going to read the story of the loaves and fishes where where Jesus was teaching 5,000 men plus their their wives and children. This was a crowd of potentially 15,000 if it was a one-child average kind of ratio. And he fed them out of almost nothing. Five loaves and two fishes, he fed them. And the thing is, though, he didn't just feed them. Jesus didn't just meet the need. He overwhelmed it with abundance. We're told that they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. That was about 100 times what they'd started with. Jesus responds to our lack with his abundance. So some of us, especially in this season, are feeling wrung out. There's no more wine left. Giving liquor sales statistics during COVID, I'm not surprised there is any left, but that's another story. Reflecting on who Jesus is, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, reflecting on this abundance of Jesus, he says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. John says Jesus produced a ridiculous abundance of wine. 
Later on, we see the same Jesus producing a ridiculous abundance of food to thousands of people who had nothing. The Apostle Paul reflects on it and says he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so my question this morning is, are you out of wine? And I hope you get that I'm not literally talking about wine. I I hope you're not thinking about needing to pick up something from uh, the bottle shop on the way home. If that's, that's your choice, I'm not saying... Yeah, you can check your own heart and your own motivations of that. But I hope right now we're not thinking about wine. We're thinking about wine as representing everything that we are and we have. And, and so essentially I'm asking, have you come to the end of yourself? Is your experience of life at the moment one of lack of falling short? Uh, then I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus answers our lack with abundance with more than we could hope or imagine. But the thing is, as well, it was never about the wine. Uh, With the bread and fishes, it was never about the bread and fishes. Later on, Jesus would say, you're coming because you want bread, but but you can't see that there's something deeper there. It was never about the wine or the bread. It was about Jesus himself. It's not that just Jesus provides abundance. He is our abundance. Jesus is your abundance. And so this morning, uh, I want to ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe that even in this season, Jesus is your abundance? In the face of our lack, Jesus is our abundance, but... But it's, it's not just that. John doesn't finish there with the ridiculous quantity of wine. The, the story goes on and in verse 8 to 10, we read what happens with the wine. In verse 7, we're told that they filled these jars to the brim. Then it says, Then he told them, Now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the wine that sorry tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, "Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now." You have saved the best until now. See, Jesus' wine was better. Jesus' wine was better than the best wine that the hosts of the wedding could get their hands on with likely months, possibly even years to prepare. Jesus' wine was better. Jesus' wine was so much better that at the bridegroom's wedding, the master of the banquet pulls him aside from the celebration to comment on it. Jesus' wine was better. What Jesus offers is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is God's best saved until now. Jesus is better than the religious systems of the Jewish people of their day. And I believe Jesus in a conversation with a Samaritan woman near a well, said the Jewish system was better than everything else. 
These stone jars that were filled were now ruined for their intended purpose. Jesus took the symbols of the old religious system of ritualistic self-righteousness and ruined them for that purpose and filled them with the new wine of the coming of the Messiah. The very next story that John tells after this one is Jesus going to the temple and clearing out all the, the markets so that his father's house would be a house of prayer, that it wouldn't be a marketplace. That marketplace was a direct product of the old religious system. Jesus was clearing out the old religious system and restoring relationship with God. Jesus is God's best saved until now. But it's not just about old Jewish religious systems. Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is better than our striving. He's better than our rituals. He's better than the fortune tellers. Jesus is better than wine and alcohol. Jesus is better than everything we might seek to satisfy ourselves with and be filled. Jesus is God's best. The Apostle Paul also reflected on this in Philippians chapter 3. See, Paul saw that Jesus was our abundance, but he also saw that he was worth more than anything else. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, Paul wrote, But whatever were gains to me, that's of his old life under the religious system, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. Now, this is a pretty powerful word in Greek. If we were to translate it into emoji, it would be the poo one. I consider them excrement that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he goes on, I want to know Christ. And and, and so the Apostle Paul saw that Jesus is of all surpassing worth. He's abundant. He's better than. And so my question this morning is, not just are you at the end of yourself, but, but what are you trying to fill yourself with? What are you seeking satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in your life with right now? Is there anything else that you're valuing above Jesus in this season? Whatever it is, I don't need to know. I'm not seeking a time of confessional this morning. I don't need to know because I can say with confidence, whatever it is, Jesus is better. And not only is he better, his way is better. See, following Jesus often feels like sacrifice, only to realize that we've sacrificed the cheap wine for the good stuff. We've sacrificed dissatisfaction for satisfaction. We've sacrificed sorrow for joy. 
Jesus' way is better. Jesus is better. Do you believe it? See, John's gospel is all about belief. To finish where we started in verse 11, John says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He revealed his glory. He revealed that he was the Messiah. He revealed that he was Almighty God. He revealed that he was the Savior. He revealed that he's the one that meets our lack with abundance. He revealed that he is the one in which God has saved the best for now. And his disciples believed him. They believed in him. And and so this is the question I want to leave us all with this morning. I've asked it a couple times already. Do you believe? Do you believe? Believe. We started the story with Mary believing. We end the story with the disciples believing, but we don't want to leave it there. And John doesn't want to leave it there. He wants to leave it with you believing. That was his whole point in telling the story. And so the thing is, Jesus was not just another guest at the wedding until Mary's belief called him into action. And so is Jesus just another guest in your life? Is Jesus just another visitor? Is he just someone you hang out with from time to time? Or do you believe in him and call him into action in your life? Mary's belief led to Jesus' action, which led to others believing. When we put our belief into action and Jesus shows up in our life, it it leads not just to miraculous in our own life, it leads to signs demonstrating who Jesus is that others might believe in him as well. So that's John's question. That's my question this morning. Do you believe? In Jesus. Not just that he existed and lived, and but do you believe that right now, today, that he, in the space of your lack, is abundance for you? Do you believe that with so many options on the shelf of what you could choose to fill yourself with and value, do you believe that Jesus is the best saved just for you just for now then if so I want to encourage you in this season and in every moment of your life to not just have him as a guest a visitor in your life but to put your belief into action and so Heavenly Father We come to Jesus now. We bring our lack before him and desire to step into our abundance. We lay down all that we have sought to fill our life with, all that we've valued, all that we've sought satisfaction in, and we lay it aside and desire to drink deeply 
of the good wine that Jesus offers us now. And so I pray that you would pour out the wine of your Holy Spirit upon this place and every place where people are gathered this morning or watching or listening to this later on, we pray that you would pour out the wine, the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us, that we would experience not just in theology, but tangibly that Jesus is better. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.